Thank you for coming tonight. What a privilege and a joy it is uh, to come together to study God's Word. If your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 15 and verse 15. John 15, verse 15. We're continuing our study uh, on the Godhead, and of course Christ is part of that Godhead. And tonight we're going to look at the friendship of Christ. Anybody want to read John 15, verse 15, if you got it? Thank you, Phyllis. Let's, let's kind of camper just for a, a, a minute or so. Uh, what is that verse saying to us? What's the word henceforth mean? From this point forward. And Jesus is speaking to the disciples. And he says, from now on, I will no longer call you a servant. And the reason he said is, because a servant doesn't know the things his master does. He said, but now, instead of being a servant, I call you friends. Because everything that I've heard from my father, I've now made it known to you. Now, this is not a, a theological question by any stretch of the imagination. I just need a simple answer. Uh, when you get to John 15, how far along in the ministry of Christ are we? He's almost finished. Because we're only a couple of chapters from John 17, where he begins, I've finished your work, you know, glorified by the glory he had before I came to this world. And so he's at the end of his ministry. And what's interesting, the last few months of his ministry was more or less a private teaching time with his disciples. Why do you think that he did it that way? Say it again. Okay, yes indeed. And when he left, who's going to carry on the work? They were. So he's preparing them for the days to come. Now what's interesting, when he said from now on or from henceforth, this point forward, I won't call you servants anymore or slaves. He said, I'm going to call you friends. Now in those days, in that culture, the disciples of a rabbi were considered his servants. And was Jesus a rabbi? Yes. Okay. Now, he was more than that, but he was a rabbi. And so Jesus says to the disciples, I'm going to change that relationship. They were not to be his servants, he says. But from now on, you be my what? My friends. Isn't that good? From now on, you will be my friends. And according to our text verse in John 15, 15, the reason that Christ now considers them his friends is because he told him everything, told them everything he had heard from the Father. Now, again, uh, we teach and we believe the Bible teaches uh, the Trinity, even though the word Trinity is not used, but that God exists in three persons. Who are they? Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Which one is God? All three. Which was most God? 
They're all equal, right? And yet, he says to the disciples, what I've told you, I've heard from the Father. So, again, there's an order there that only the Godhead can understand, and we don't, but it's there. But the bottom line is, he says, guys, understand something. From now on, you are my friends. What a statement. Now, remember, and I know on this earth he was a rabbi, but he's also God incarnate. He's God in the flesh. And he says, now you're friends of God. I love the old hymns. I love some of the new contemporary stuff. If they talk about Jesus. But uh, one of my favorite old hymns is, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. I did some research on that hymn this week because uh, it's not part of our necessarily our study. But when I looked at the friendship of Christ, that hymn came to mind right away. It was written by a fellow by the name of Joseph uh, M. Scriven, in, written in 1855. I don't know of any other hymns that I know about he wrote. I'm sure he wrote others, but I couldn't find any much information on that. But this fellow, Joseph Scriven, he enrolled in a military college, and his goal was to prepare for an army uh, career. But he had poor health, and it forced him to forget about that ambition. Not too much later, once he had to give up on that career, his fiancée drowned the night before their wedding. Eleven years later, and that was in 1844 when his fiancée drowned, eleven years later in 1855, his second marriage hope of marriage was dashed when his new bride-to-be died after a short illness. I can't imagine. And because his life was filled with grief and trials, by his own admission, Scriven admitted he needed the, uh, the solace and the comfort of the Lord And that's why he wrote this famous hymn. What a friend we have in Jesus. I want to say if you're not there yet, you will be. There'll be a time in your life, and there are times we know, we have to know, we have a friend in Jesus. I don't normally do this, but I have... Made me a copy of the lyrics. I'm not going to sing it to you tonight. I'll spare you of that horror. But I do want to share. One verse says, what a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Another verse says, oh, what peace. We often forfeit. Now think about that. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Can you identify with that? Isn't it true? The third verse says, have we trials and temptations? 
Is there trouble anywhere? What's the question? Answer that question. And when we look, we should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Then he asks a question. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all of our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, aren't you glad you're still our refuge? Take it to the Lord in prayer. And then he reminds us, in his arms he'll take and shield thee. Thou will find a solace there. Good words. But words that came out of the brokenness of his life. <laughs> I'm real glad you have a friend in Jesus tonight. And what a friend in Jesus we have. He bears our sins and our griefs. He provides us a peace that cannot be found anywhere else. Or in anything else. He shares in all of our sorrows. He is our refuge. And thank God. He shields us. In his arms. How many times in your life have you said Lord. Wrap your arms around me. Hold me a little closer. Draw me. A little. Nearer. What a friend, what a wonderful friend we have in Jesus. And I wonder sometimes just how many people would see their relationship with Christ as our best friend. Think about that. It is a privilege as well as a responsibility to see him as our friend. Now make no mistake about it. Whether we talk about God or the Holy Spirit or Jesus Christ, they're, they're all co-equal. And if God is holy, 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 what is Jesus? Holy, holy, holy. What's the Holy Spirit? Holy, holy, holy. And yet this holy, holy, holy God wants to be a friend. Proverbs 18, verse 24. Wow. There's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Now, now isn't it true? In life, if you count your best friends, you can count on one hand and have fingers left over. Isn't it true? Somebody can really count on when the chips are down. 
And I realize that, that that can apply to someone in our life. But I don't think when it talks about there's a friend who sticks close to their brother, no one fits that bill like Jesus does. No one. In Luke chapter 7, verse 34, something like that. The Son of Man is come eating and drinking. And ye say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. What part of verse 34 was true? All of it. Jesus was a friend of public. That's tax collectors. He was a friend of sinners. And certainly in this passage and other passages as well, that term is used to describe Jesus Christ. How many are glad he's a friend of sinners tonight? Yeah. Now I realize there's a I don't know what word to use here, a plethora, a lot, a lot of varied, different kinds of our walk with God, the relation we have. And he offers them to believers. And if we don't take advantage of any of them or neglect any of them or one of them, who loses? We do. We've got to understand we have a friend in Jesus. doesn't mean he condones sin. We know he doesn't do that. But he's so willing to forgive. He is so willing to give. We know that Christ is God. We've already declared that. We've taught that for years. We know that Christ is Lord. We know that Christ is the head of the church. We know that he is the Savior of the church. The writer of Hebrews touches on this in quite a bit of detail. But officially, he's our prophet. He's our priest, and he's our king. But personally, how many are glad for a personal God? Yeah. He's our kinsman redeemer. He is our intercessor, and he is our friend. What a friend we have in Jesus. And when I think about the fact that he's all those to us, but especially the personal part of it, a kinsman, redeemer, intercessor, friend, that displays for us a close union between the Lord Jesus Christ and those who come to him by faith. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, look at verse 17.
But he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. The context of 1 Corinthians 6, where some of the Corinthians were still involved in eating meat offered to idols or maybe a little bit in going to pagan shrines. And Jesus says, look, you got to remember, or John, Paul tells them that you become one if you join with them. And the person who is joined to the Lord Jesus Christ becomes one spirit with him. Now think about that. Those who are joined to the Lord Jesus Christ become one spirit with him. And so our union with Christ, not only does it affect us, it affects him. Because one cannot act without affecting the other. We put faith in Christ, we become one spirit with him. And so Christ is more than a brother to the church. He's the husband of the church. He's a bride of the church. He's a bosom friend of the church. Ephesians chapter 5, look at verse 30. Ephesians 5, verse 30. What's Paul saying there? We're part of him. By faith, we are part of him. And it's interesting, and we know that to be true, but when we think about those close relationships, they often really come short of expressing fully the nearness, the spiritual oneness, and the indissoluble union we have between Christ and his people. We know that he loves us, isn't that right? He died for us. And he wants to be our friend. So when can we approach him? What? Anytime. Anytime. We have that freedom. Freedom not just to approach him, which is true, but also the freedom to enjoy a most intimate relationship with him. And if we deny Jesus that relationship, we ignore the fact that he is indeed our best friend. Now, by the way, if someone is your best friend, what should you be able to count on them for? Anything. What should you be able to tell them? Anything. And he is our best friend. What an endearing thought, a friend in Jesus Christ. And this is not only, and it does speak about, but not just speak about the uh, close relation between Christ and us as redeemed, but also reminds me of the affection that Jesus has for the church. And by the way, who's the church? We are. Not this building. It's a place we meet. We are the church. 
How much did Jesus love the church? He died for it. What can quench his love for the church? Nothing. You simply cannot stop the outpouring of his love for the church. John 13, look at verse 1. Now, thank you, Dan. Our focus is on the last part of that verse. Of course, John the Apostle, John the Beloved is writing. And he says, talking about Jesus Christ, he knew his time had come to leave this world. And John said he loved his own, worship in the world. He loved them till when? Till the end. Now, most of you know the New Testament was written mainly uh, in Greek originally. And that particular phrase could also be translated, he loved them to the uttermost. Think about that. How much did Jesus love us? Enough to die on Calvary. He loved us to the uttermost. And we find out here in John, chapter 13, John reminds us he continued his devotion to the disciples to the very end. Did he know they were going to be trained? Sure. He knew they were going to run. He knew all of that. And before he left them, he said, Fellas, I want to express my love to you one by one. So what did he do? He washes their feet. You think it surprised him? You know it did. We know Peter's response. Jesus is a friend closer than her brother. That tells us the fact that he is closer than the brother. That Jesus Christ, our Lord, has sympathy for us, for his people. When we suffer, guess what? He suffers. Yeah. When we hurt, guess what? He hurts. He also shares and bears our infirmities. Isaiah 63, look at verse 9. Certainly Isaiah is referring back to the days of the Exodus. Man, them Jews were a great bunch of people, weren't they? I've always told people, I think they were free old Baptists. They had to be at heart. But isn't it good to know that even when God's people are not faithful, he remains faithful? Isn't it true? Isaiah said, in all that affliction, he was also afflicted. He sent the angel of his presence to save them. He expressed love and pity. He redeemed them, and he carried them all the days of old. What a God. What a demonstration of his friendship. On 
on at least one occasion, maybe two occasions, God told Moses, stand back and I'm going to get rid of these, zap them all. We're going to start over just me and you. And of course, Moses said, God, don't do that because they'll, they'll think, the, the nations around will think you didn't have the power. But also, there was a time when God told Moses, Moses, I want you to go. But I'm not going to go with you. Remember what Moses said to him? Do you remember what Moses said? Lord, if you don't go, yeah. If you don't go, I don't want to go. Folks, that ought to be our battle cry. Everywhere we go, we need a friend like Jesus. And what a demonstration of his friendship. Truly, Jesus is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Now, when we think about that, that also shows us or displays for us how deep his concern is for our welfare. He is concerned about us. Jeremiah chapter 32, look at verse 40. Thank you, Dan. Our focus is in the middle of the verse where God says, I will not turn away from them to do them good. I will never turn away from them. What a friend we have in Jesus. Look at some of the, I don't know how to put it, some of the good things about our best friend, Jesus Christ. Number one, Christ is an old friend. He is an ancient friend. And we all know how important old friends are to us. We put a great value on them. And here's what amazes me. When I was an enemy, Christ wanted to be a friend of mine. He wanted to be a friend to me. Romans chapter 5, look at verses 6 through 10. Thank you, Phyllis. I find it kind of interesting in these few verses we just read. The Apostle Paul wants to make sure that we realize who Christ actually died for. Paul says he died for the ungodly. He died for the ungodly. And if we're a little bit confused about who that might be, there at the end of verse 8, 
Paul says Christ died for who? For us. So who of the ungodly? We were. So while we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So Paul uses that phrase, us, in exchange of the ungodly. That's who we were. And Paul says in due time, that means the right time. The right time. And that speaks both of the timing in history and the timing in God's plan. I was listening to somebody today preaching, this is a clip of him, and he made a great statement. He said, God is, cannot be early and he's never late. He's always when? He's always on time. So even in the face of us being powerless, God was completely in control. And it's interesting who determined when Christ would come into our world, God or the circumstances? God did. Because God is in control. So the events in human history didn't determine that plan of salvation. It was designed by God to happen when? At just the right time. And we must never forget the only reason we're saved is because God took the initiative. And without a doubt, He demonstrated incredible grace, wonderful, magnificent grace and love By sending his son, now think about this, to take the punishment that I deserved, that we deserved. Now remember, he did this while we were powerless, while we were enemies, while we were sinners. While we were ungodly, while we were constantly living independently of God. He came at the right time. And the death of Jesus Christ is the highest display of God's love for us. Because while we were rebellious, while we were unlovable, Christ died for us so that we could come to God. What a friend we have in Jesus. He died for us. He died that we might have peace with God. And he died that we might become heirs of his promises. And he did it all for us. Now remember, Jesus didn't die so we could be made lovable. He died because God already loved us. He loved us how? As we were. But he loved us too much to leave us the way we were. And no matter how lonely we might feel, no matter how alienated we might feel, 
We have something that never changes. And that fact is objective. Jesus died for me. Make it personal. He died for me. So he died because God already loved us. And he wanted to bring us close to God. What a friend we have in Jesus. We read from Romans 6 just a moment ago. And there in verse 10, we're reminded that when Christ reconciled us to God, we were enemies. And we were enemies because we were in rebellion against God. What a friend we have in Jesus. John chapter 15, look at verse 13. What's that verse tell us? Yeah, exactly for your friend. No greater love. That's the highest expression of love we could ever have. By laying our life down for someone else. What did Jesus do? He died for He laid his life down for us. He didn't die for himself. He laid his life down for us. So when Adam sinned, God stopped loving people. No. That love didn't change. Absolutely. Yeah. Now listen to me, folks. When Adam fell, we fell on Adam. But God didn't stop to love us. He didn't cease loving us. Because he became the last man, Adam. And why did he do that? He did it so he might redeem us, buy us back. Because he loved us. To lay down his life for his friends. We know through... Biblical history, that God sent his servants to preach the gospel. In our lifetime, if you've been born again, you heard somebody preach the gospel. I tell you about the gospel. But a lot of us, through part of our life, we despise that. But even when we tried to ignore him, he wouldn't let us. He came to us. We could not go to him. And by the way, if you're saved here tonight, it's only by God's grace. It's only because his grace has arrested you, got a hold of your life. And by his love, we can now overcome our enmity with God. And God will change our hearts. So Christ is an ancient friend. God has always loved his people. But second of all, Christ is a constant friend. I get tickled uh, at my grandkids sometimes, especially when they're real young, and they got this, what do you call them, 
BBF or something. Or I don't know what, but something to do with best friends forever. Or I'm not sure what it is. Okay. How many know what's what's the chance of when you're seven or eight years old you're gonna have a best friend forever? Yeah, it's gonna change all the time, right? But how many know in Jesus we have a constant friend, a friend that never changes, a friend who will never leave us or forsake us, a friend who loves all the time, a friend who remains faithful even when we are not faithful. Proverbs seventeen seventeen. Again, our, our focus is the first part of Proverbs seventeen seventy. A friend loves when loves when at all times. What's that mean? Good times, bad times, in between time, all the time, right, fellas? Every moment they love us. It's also interesting, through all the changes in life, Jesus continues to love us. He continues to be our friend. Fair weather, bad weather, good weather. And he never fails us, even when we need him the most. Is he a friend in the day of adversity? Sure he is. Is he a friend in the day of prosperity? Absolutely. He's not a fair weather friend. Psalm 46, look at verse 1. Those are the last phrase, a very present help. What does that mean? When? All the time. Right now, whenever we need him. And by the way, now I realize that God is not pleased when we sin. But my question is, does God stop loving us when we sin? No. First John chapter two. Look at verse one. Amen. Now, please understand this. Our transgressions, our sins, they simply do not stop his compassion for us. Because even when we, we do sin, his compassion doesn't fail, and he continues to act as a friend. And John reminds us that when we sin, we have an advocate. What's an advocate? Yeah, someone to argue our case. And our advocate is Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is our friend. So he is the old friend. He's a constant friend. Number three, he is a faithful friend. Now keep in mind, is Christ righteous? Say it again. All the time. My question is this. Does his, his, does, will his righteousness ever be diminished by being a friend to us? No, it can't be. I find it kind of 
ironic in a way. And we don't have the verse in our study tonight, but you remember the time when the Jewish officials caught a woman in adultery. And they bring her to Jesus. Now, I've often wondered where was the man, okay? But they only had one goal. What was that goal? To trip up Jesus. But he also realized what the law said. The law says she should die. So they thought, man, we got him now. So they explained to Jesus, because you know he already knew what happened. We caught this woman in adultery. And the law says she should die. Did you notice Jesus never once argued that? He didn't say that's not true. So what did he say to them? Okay, you're right. She needs to die. But let the one without sin throw that first stone. What happened? I heard a preacher one year ago talk about that. He said, I don't know for sure, but he said likely there was maybe some, uh, I don't know how to put it, uh, elders of the, of the rabbis were there and whatever, older, youngest. And he said, when Jesus said that, all of a sudden you heard thud, 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 all those stones hitting the ground. Because they couldn't. And by the way, let the one without sin cast the first stone. But understand something, folks. The one who was qualified to cast the stone he didn't. Now, did he condone what she did? No. What did he tell her? Go and sin no more. So he doesn't alter his righteousness by his grace. And he doesn't ignore what holiness requires. And we have to understand that Jesus has always kept in proper, proper perspective both the glory of God and the highest good of God's people. He's always kept it in the right perspective. Proverbs 27, look at verse 6. What in the world does that mean? Okay. But does a friend always say what you want to hear? No. Yeah. And the thing is, will a friend say it to tear you down? No. To see help you see the wrong in your life, whatever they do it for your benefit. They're not there to destroy you. But like Phyllis said, you gotta watch out there for that enemy. Got to watch out. But if the faithful are the wounds of a friend. Proverbs 18, look at verse 24. Okay, we read that a moment ago, but again, faithful are the wounds of the friend, a friend stays closer than a brother. Hebrews 12, 10. 
Hebrews 12.10. Thank you, Phyllis. <laughs> it is kind of in a way. Now, in that chapter, the writer of Hebrews is talking about uh, being chastised. How many like to be chastised? <laughs> you know, I never could understand when he hit somebody, when my parents might have said, uh, this is going to hurt me any worse than it does you. I never believed that. Because <laughs> I was always on the other end of the stick or the, or the belt. Now, my parents didn't abuse me. Uh, but sometimes they had to speak to the seat of my understanding. And, uh, but at any rate, uh, hopefully, and, and far as I know, they did it for my good. Uh, they were out, you know, to, for my benefit, and I appreciate that. But, but think about that. Everything God does is for our benefit. Everything. And a real friend does his duty by pointing out false in my life. And Christ also shows himself friendly in that way. And by the way, what is one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit in our life? To bring about what? Conviction. To bring about conviction in our lives. Sometimes when I'm reading God's Word, I say, Lord, I wish you hadn't said that because now you're talking about me. So sometimes he rebukes me by his word. He convicts our conscience by the Holy Spirit. And he chastens us by his providence. But all of this is that we might one day be partakers of his holiness. So everything that God does is for his glory, his honor, and our good. He wants us to be partakers of his holy. You know why? Because he truly is a friend. Who sticks closer than a brother. He's a faithful friend. He is a constant friend. He's an old friend. The fourth thing about Jesus, he's a powerful friend. He's a powerful friend. Now listen to me, folks. We know if we if, if we if we realize that God is willing to help us, my question is, is he able to help us? To what degree? Whatever it takes, right? So not only is he willing, he is able to help us. And there'll be times in our lives we would want, if you will, to help a friend when they have an hour of need. But a lot of times we don't have the means and we can't. But what does Jesus lack? Nothing. He's willing and he is able. But he also has the heart. He wants to help us. He wants to assist us. And thank God he has the power to help us. He's the one who owns unsearchable riches. And he's our friend. We have a friend in Jesus. And what's interesting... Whatever he has is at our disposal. It is for our use.
unsearchable riches. John 17, look at verse 22. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them. Question tonight, folks. Will God hold back any good thing for us? No. He is willing and he is able. And here's what's interesting. By the way, John 17 uh, Jesus is his high priestly prayer, high priestly prayer, if I can say that. And it reminds me, we have a friend at court. Think about that. Because Christ uses his influence with the Father, and he does it on our behalf. He does it on our behalf. A year or so ago, Alistair Begg was preaching, and I think I saw this clip again just a week or so ago on YouTube. And he was preaching about the thief on the cross. And I won't go into every detail, but when he gets to heaven, a conversation ensues and, you know, asked the question, where, where'd you go to church? I said, well, I didn't go to church. Where'd you go to Sunday school? Well, I, I didn't go to Sunday school. I don't remember all the questions. So finally, the interrogator said then, why are you here? And he said, because the man in the middle said I could come. And you know why we're there? Because Jesus said we could come. Isn't it great to have a friend at court? A friend who intercedes for us. The one we read a moment ago in John's epistle, an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And guess whose side he's on? He's on our side. He's pleading our case. Hebrews 7.25. Thank you, Phyllis. Notice that last part. He lives, he ever lives to do what? To make intercession for us. What a friend. What a friend we have in Jesus. And no situation can come up that Jesus Christ doesn't have the resources to meet. Not one. He's also an everlasting friend. (laughs) He doesn't desert us at the time of our greatest need. Psalm 22, look at verse 4. Amen. Do you know what the last enemy we're going to face is death? And even the psalmist, David, says, even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, guess who's with me? God is. 
He doesn't desert us in the hour of crisis. Death does not separate us from this friend because he sits closer than a brother. For we are with him and hold, and listen very carefully. The last breath we take on earth, the next breath will be celestial air. What did Jesus tell the thief on the cross? Today, you will be with me in paradise. And one of these days, because we have a friend in Jesus, because he is a friend that sticks closer to the brother, closer than our brother, we are going to hear him say, enter into the joy of your Lord. Enter into the joy of your Lord. So, because Christ is such a friend to us, what should our response be? We ought to be a friend to him. We ought to be a friend to him. Because I'm convinced that friendship ought to be answered with friendship. Respond in like manner. No coldness. Not being hesitant on our parts. But opening ourselves up to the privilege we have Not only to have a friend in Jesus, but to be a friend in Christ. We need to find our delight in Him. Because truly, we have a friend in Jesus. Bill? Amen. Yes, indeed. Amen. He paid that price. And you know what, Bill? The price doesn't go up, the value does, though. The older I get, the more value my walk with God is. Praise His holy name. So how many are glad we have a friend of Jesus tonight? Amen. Thank you, Lord. Let's stop there for tonight.